Wisconsin's true home team is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now featuring savings up to $2,500 off an installed patio door, up to $3,000 off an installed entry door, but only through May 31st. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Let's get right to it. Um, early in the morning on Mother's Day, a Madison pro-life clinic, Wisconsin Family Action, was firebombed by various vandals. We're going to get to this, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it later on in the show and and whether or not this tactic is going to switch hearts and minds. But um, what apparently happened is one or more people took a, a firebomb, a Molotov cocktail, threw it through the window of the, this building, and it did not ignite. So they, they tried to they tried to bomb the building. Essentially, there was graffiti that was written on the side of the building, including things like "If abortions aren't safe, you aren't going to be either." When apparently the people <clears throat> who were intent on firebombing this building realized that the bomb that they had thrown through had not gone off. It looks like they broke into the building and then vandalized the offices and then set fires inside it. So you've got an attempted firebombing, you've got an arson, you've got vandalism. I have in my hands the statement from the Madison police chief. The Madison Police Department understands members of our community are feeling deep emotions due to the recent news involving the United States Supreme Court. Early Sunday morning, our team began investigating a suspicious fire inside an office building on the city's north side. A suspicious fire. It was a f- attempted firebombing. It was arson and it was vandalism. The statement continues. It appears a specific nonprofit that supports anti-abortion measures was targeted. Our department, and th- just listen to this, our department has and continues to support people being able to speak freely and openly about their beliefs. But we feel that any acts of violence, including the destruction of property, do not aid in any cause. So in other words, the Madison Police Department, while understanding that people might be worked up, they they just can't endorse people firebombing and vandalizing a building. We have made our federal partners aware of this incident and are working with them and the Madison Fire Department as we investigate this arson. We will provide an update on this case Monday at 2 p.m. Specific details regarding the logistics will be sent at a later time. If you follow me on, on Twitter, you can I, I have a link to this statement. I'm, I'm at Jeff Wagner 620. And, and here, here is my comment. I guarantee, I guarantee you that if instead of it being a pro-life facility— I guarantee you that if a Planned Parenthood facility in Madison had been firebombed and vandalized, the statement from the police chief would not be, well, we appreciate that members of our community are feeling deep emotions due to the recent news. Our department has and continues to support people being able to speak freely and openly about their beliefs, but we feel that any acts of violence, including the destruction of property, do not aid the cause, not to mention that they are illegal, all right, and dangerous. So I guarantee you, if a Planned Parenthood facility in Madison had been firebombed and vandalized, the statement from the police chief would have been very different and would have included terms like domestic terror 
hate crime, anti-abortion extremists. You know all those phrases would have been there. But instead we get, well, we understand that people are very worked up about this, and, and we support the right of people to express their opinions, but, but you know we have to denounce this. Well, of course you have to denounce it. They tried to firebomb the building, for goodness sakes. We're going to talk about this tactic a little bit later on. But like I say, if you want to, if you want to see the statement that the Madison police put out about this, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. All right. Also sent out another tweet that where I want to start the show today. Um, I know right before I got on the air, I know Steve and Carol were talking about you know, gas prices. As I was driving in today, I saw I saw gas prices as high as four forty nine a gallon for regular unleaded gasoline. I'm not talking about the premiums or anything like that. I saw it as high as four forty nine. I saw it as low as four seventeen. So there there's a huge variation. It now appears that we are within a nickel of an all time high, all time high in this country for the average price of of gasoline. And this is something that of course impacts everybody because we all drive our, our cars. There's no doubt about it. And now when you're talking about – now keep in mind, a year ago, uh, the average price of gasoline was $2.95, $2.80, somewhere in there. So it's up $1.50 a gallon over the course of the last year. If you go back two years, you're probably talking about gasoline under $2 a gallon. So – Everybody is getting hit by this, but this is incredibly regressive. By that, I mean people who have less money get hit a lot harder. And meanwhile, nobody has any really good ideas about what you can do. Now, I understand that in the big picture, you know, we're looking at gasoline prices, and it's all about a question of supply and demand. And what we need to do is we need to increase our domestic oil production. We need to drill, baby, drill. We need to build the various refineries. We need to get more oil in the system. And I understand that that's hard for some people like the Joe Bidens of the world to do because they want to force us out of our cars that, you know, use the internal combustion engine and into like electric cars and things like that. And, and maybe someday, as I've said before, maybe someday we'll be ready for that, but we're not ready for that right now. Right now we got a problem because people are expected to pay $4.50 a gallon with no end in sight. So what can be done? Well, there's a couple different things, but I want to start with something that I've been talking about for the better part of 20 years and ask, if not now, when? In Wisconsin, we are one of a handful of states who still have this law on the books that goes back to the Depression, and it's called the Unfair Sales Act. But what it really is is the minimum markup law. When it comes to gasoline prices, by law, gasoline stations are required to essentially mark up the cost of gasoline by um, by nine percent. That that's essentially what the rules say. And if they don't, they're subject to fines. Now, the minimum markup law applies to other things as well. But let's just talk about gasoline in this particular situation. The thinking behind the minimum markup law goes back to the Depression. And when there wasn't any different gasoline stations, and the concern was if you've only got you know one gasoline station in, in a town, and what happens is, or maybe you've got two, and what happens is one of them decides to lower their prices, gets more business, drives the other 
other place out of business, then they're going to raise up their prices and it'll be a monopoly. I don't know if that made any sense in 1935, but it makes no sense at all in 2022. If you were to do away with the minimum markup law, and most states don't have this, what you would see and allow the free market to operate. So if you've got a convenience store that sells gas and they decide, hey, I want to sell my gas at cost because I believe that that will get other people, that will get people to come into my store and buy stuff like cigarettes or lottery tickets or Twinkies or whatever that have a markup. Why in the world shouldn't shouldn't people be allowed to do that? And now with gas pushing $4.50 a gallon, if we were to do away with the minimum markup law, the estimates are the price of gas would immediately drop, well, at least it could potentially drop somewhere 30, 40, maybe 50 cents a gallon, because then different retailers and different sellers would be able to compete freely. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and you know what? To me, that this Unfair Sales Act is one of the most anti-consumer, regressive sort of laws that you can possibly imagine. Let businesses compete. And if they want to sell gas for below, even below cost, who cares? Because they've got to figure out a way that they're going to make that money up, you know, other elsewhere. And if you don't think, if you somehow believe that, oh, if, if one company does this, it's going to drive all these other companies out of business, you're just not paying attention to what's going on in the world today. Let's get rid of this minimum markup law, and immediately, my prediction is you will start seeing gas prices drop 20, 30, 40, maybe even 50 cents a gallon. If not now, when? 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Look, here's the deal. If you want to see the gas prices that we are paying drop immediately, 30, 40, 50 cents a gallon, the simple solution, all you have to do is repeal the minimum markup law, a law that very, very few states has that goes back to the Depression. I don't know that it even made any sense back then, but it was when there was only like one or two big oil companies and the concern was there's only one or two gas stations in a particular community. And if you allow the market to operate, one station might sell gas below cost, drive the other station out of business, and then jack up the costs. I don't know that you can point to a time over the course of the last 90 years where that has really happened, but in states that don't have the minimum markup law. But there is no justification for this in Wisconsin now. You drop the minimum markup law, you allow people to compete, and my guess is you will be able to find gas, like I say, 30, 40, 50 cents less per gallon. If we're not now, when are we going to do this? Let's start with Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. What do you think? Absolutely. Um, you know, I drive in Wisconsin every day, and I usually try to fill up here because it's cheaper. Um, and I don't know if Illinois has that, but, I mean, people need relief right now. This is something we could do immediately as opposed to some of the other options that would take time. The summer driving season is coming up. You know, you want people to be able to, uh, you know, travel. Uh, people, there's a pent-up demand to travel. And just like you said, if not, now when? When it's yeah. $6 a gallon? When it's $7 a gallon? I yeah. mean, 
Right. No, thanks for calling. And, and again, there, look, there's other things you can do. But and, and for example, I mean, if Tony Evers was serious about this, instead of simply saying, well, I'd like the federal government to put a moratorium on the federal gas tax, which is about 19, 19 cents a gallon. I mean, he could come out and say, well, I want to put a moratorium on the Wisconsin uh, sales taxes on gas. There's two of them, but they total about 33 cents a gallon. But but OK, but that's I understand the argument with that is, all right, if, if we suspend the gas tax, well, we still got to pay for road improvements and things like that. Now, you could argue you could take some of the federal covid money and do that. But but still, you, you've got those needs. This is a free market solution. You drop the mandatory, the, the minimum markup law, and you allow businesses to compete. So if Walmart or Costco or, or whatever, if they want to really say, okay, look, we, we've, we've done these studies and we know that when people come over to the Costco to buy gasoline, you know, we know that they're inclined to come in and buy other stuff as well. So we're going to sell our gas at cost. You know, whatever that cost is to us, we're going to sell it because we know we're going to get more people in the door. Why in the world shouldn't they be allowed to do it? Why shouldn't Walmarts of the world be allowed to do that? That benefits the customer, and it benefits the customer in a private sector way by removing government and allowing the businesses to operate. And for all these people who think, well, that means that, you know, there's only going to be one oil company that operates in the country, my point would be most states don't have minimum markup laws, and you still have all sorts of competition among different gas stations and gas providers. Why do you think it's going to be different in Wisconsin? Let's talk to Steve in Genesee. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, so this one's, this one's really been bugging me, too. So about three weeks ago, I sent uh, emails to, I'm um, in western Waukesha County, so I sent emails to both my uh, state senator and congressman, and both of them did respond, and both of them said they support repealing this law, but they don't have enough uh, backing throughout the legislators. Mm-hmm. So very, very frustrating. Well, it, well, it is, you know, because there was there was a bill, and, and the governor, I don't think, is in favor of this either. And here, I mean, here's part of the problem. You've got some very, very powerful lobbying groups um, who— who, who oppose this because they, they, they're really against protect, they're against competition. They want to try to protect their members, and that's all well and good. But maybe it's time, Steve, you know, for people in the legislature to, you know, develop a spine and recognize that this Amen. law makes no, yeah, this law makes no sense at all. It is one of the most anti-consumer things around, and especially for Republicans. If you are free market people, what you want to do is you want to allow the free market to operate operate instead of holding us all hostage because, well, you've got a couple lobbying groups that are saying, well, this might cost our members some money. Well, okay, think about the general public, for goodness sakes. I'm going to keep pushing it. I'm going to resend stuff and get a hold of them again. um, Thanks for the call. No, I, 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 I just, this is something that you know, needs to be, and and look, and I, I want to be fair here. You've got Republicans, who have blocked it. You've got Democrats who do not support this. And, and the whole idea is because everybody's in bed with some of these lobbying groups, and that, that's part of the issue. You've got a couple of these like special like retail associations and things like that, because the minimum markup law doesn't just apply to gasoline. It applies to pretty much everything. I, I mean, I've told this story before. You know, around Thanksgiving time, if you get, for example, the Chicago Tribune, and you look at some of the specials that they have, that they offer. Let's take you get a, you get the flyer from like Target, okay? And Target's got the different foods and stuff. You will see 
it's a different the, the national publications that the national press that they have it'll be the same all across the country except in a handful of states like Wisconsin because you you go to Target you buy your groceries around Thanksgiving time they'll offer all sorts of specials which are loss leaders because hey if they offer cranberries at cost or whatever or they sell turkey at cost they know that they're going to make money because those loss leaders get people in the door yeah they buy the turkey but they also turn around and they buy the cranberry sauce and they buy the potatoes and they buy the pies and they can make the money. Those circulars that get that you'll see, they're different in Wisconsin. They have to make them different in Wisconsin because you're not allowed to sell these things at or below cost. You've got a markup. It's different than the 9% markup for gasoline, but there's still a markup. Who does that benefit, for goodness sakes? And, and so this is my bipartisan call for for people to to shape up there was a senate bill that was introduced 2 years ago um this is something evers needs to be promoting it this is something that republicans and democrats in both houses of the legislature need to be doing they will disappoint a couple lobbyists but they will benefit all the rest of us cuz i don't know about you but i don't care how much money you're making when when you look at what's going on with gasoline prices in the last couple years going from about you know under $2 a gallon to now $4.50 a gallon and the sky continues to be the limit, it's time for these politicians to start getting rid of Depression-era laws that do nothing, 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 but perhaps eliminate competition and help make some people a little bit more well-off, but hurt all the rest of us for no good reason. Okay, a texture says, well, whether you like it or not, the minimum markup law, if it's eliminated, it might put some mom-and-pop shops out of business that can not compete with the big guys, to which I'd say, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. But that's what we call the, this free market. It's like when McDonald's came in. McDonald's put a lot of mom-and-pop diners out of business. Um, Costco and Walmart and Sam's Club and Target, you know, they all put some, like, family hardware stores out of business. It's the, it's the free market operating, and it's customers making decisions as to where they want to go. And I'm sorry, I don't think government should be the one that is artificially saying, all right, well, we want to protect this particular aspect of an industry, so we're going to make the consumers pay a lot more. There is this free market thing. And yeah, and I I understand that, again, there's going to be some closures. And, And that's unfortunate, but that's sort of what happens. The smaller businesses have to find out, figure out different ways to compete. But that's not unlike things that have been going on for the last 40 or 50 years. Get government out of making people pay more for stuff than they need to. Waterstone Bank and WTMJ Steve's Cafeti are once again partnering to recognize the heroes in our community. Police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others help every day to protect our families. They're the first on the scene with cr- when critical accidents and unfortunate events occur. Do you know a first responder who deserves recognition for their duties? If so, head to WTMJ.com and make your nomination now. And please hurry. The nomination period ends May 13th. That would be the end of this week. It's Waterstone Bank's Salute to Service on News Radio. WTMJ. Yeah, it's still ugly. The um, For those of you who are keeping score, the crash of the stock market continues. Oh, don't say crash. Well, it's, it's pretty much crashing. The Dow Jones Industrials, after brutal week, after brutal week, after brutal week, uh, that's 
the Dow Jones Industrials and the NASDAQ still apparently nowhere close to bottom. As we speak today, right now, the Dow is down 555 points. That's a drop of 1.69% on top of the drops and the drops and the drops that we've had since the beginning of the year. The NASDAQ um, down a higher percentage. It's down 3.72, uh, 452 points. And there, there's essentially no no bottom in sight right now. But the problem is, you know, it used to be historically when stocks would drop, you could go to the safety of bonds and things like that. Well, bonds are dropping as well. It's just a bloodbath for people. And I understand there's some folks saying, well, you, you can't bail now because all you do is lock in losses. And that's okay. But at the same time, you know, that's not much to tell people who are in retirement or near retirement or who are living on fixed incomes. And, you, you know, nothing goes up forever. But I think the dramatic decline of the stock market, and there's a lot of factors going on in the war in Ukraine, the out-of-control inflation, which I do believe was caused by a lot of mismanagement in Washington, and just global uncertainty and supply chain problems. It's all coming together for the perfect storm of an economic catastrophe. And that's sort of what we are continuing to look at now. All right, if you were not paying attention over the weekend, for everybody that talks about the need to get control of violence and things like that, well, unfortunately, the bad guys, they're not getting the message. I was watching Channel 12 this morning, and I I think their count was in 28 hours, a 28-hour period over the weekend, There were 14 separate shootings on the mean streets of Milwaukee. And in two situations, you had triple shootings. Um, On Saturday afternoon, you had a 16-year-old boy who was shot and killed um, at— outside of McDonald's on 49th and Hampton. A 16-year-old was killed, 14-year-old sustained a life-threatening injury, and a third unknown male was shot as well. This is like in the middle of the afternoon on a Saturday, 16-year-old killed. In addition, um, you had another situation that happened Sunday afternoon. Three people were hurt when shots were fired from one vehicle towards another near 40th and Glendale in Milwaukee. Again, shortly before 3 p.m. Shortly before 3 p.m. So this isn't 3 o'clock in the morning. These are gun battles that are breaking out on the streets of Milwaukee at 3 o'clock on Mother's Day afternoon. Two women, ages 42 and 21, and a boy, age 17, showed up at the hospital with gunshot wounds. And again, what police say happened is shots were fired from one vehicle towards another, and three people end up in the hospital. In this case, I mean, it's thankful that they're not in the morgue. As we talk about frequently on this program, though, anytime, anytime there's a shooting, you know, it could easily turn out to be a homicide. And it's oftentimes just because of the grace of God or bad aim or just dumb luck that people don't end up dead. But but the bottom line here is it hasn't even been warm yet. You know, it hasn't even been warm yet. And to describe the city of Milwaukee as the wild, wild west is to insult the wild, wild west, because even at Dodge City and its worst, you you don't remember people riding their horses through and and shooting at each other at three o'clock in the afternoon. And yet that is precisely what happened. So new anti-violence initiative being rolled out today. 11 o'clock in the morning. And I was curious because it had the mayor, it had the police chief, it had the Milwaukee Fire Department, it had the Milwaukee Office of Violence Prevention, which if you want to talk about 
If you want to talk about just taking millions of dollars and lighting it on fire, it's been every dime that went to the Milwaukee Office of Violence Prevention, and it's the United Neighborhood Centers of Milwaukee. Okay, so what what did they roll out today? Well, starting immediately, gun locks will be available at the United Neighborhood Centers of Milwaukee at 16th and North Avenue and through their various members. Um, Yes, they're going to offer people gun locks. And the mayor says every single gun owner has an obligation, a moral obligation, to make sure that their firearms are secure. Under no circumstances should a firearm be in the reach of a child. If you own a gun, it needs to be locked. Oh, okay. Now, let me take a step back here. I am not anti-gun lock. And I, I agree with everything the mayor is saying. I mean, if you've got, if you're a responsible gun owner and you've got, you know, a gun at your house, whether or not you have kids, I don't care. I think that gun should be in a safe place, whether it's a gun safe or a gun lock or any of those things. I think that's what a responsible gun owner does. So I am all in favor of an initiative that says, hey, if you want a free gun lock, we're going to give you a free gun lock. 100% in favor of that. At the same time, let's live in the real world. Do you really think that gun locks would have stopped any of these 28 shootings which occurred over the weekend? That the people that are driving in the car who decide that they want to open fire and shoot indiscriminately at this other car, huh? Gee, if if we had a gun lock, it might have deterred them. The shooting outside the McDonald's on 49th and Hampton that resulted in the 14-year-old injured with life-threatening injuries and the 16-year-old in the morgue. Okay, gun locks? And again, I I mean, I I guess I, I look at this. And I say, all right, I don't have a problem with an initiative that says gun locks because I guess it does stop the situation where maybe you get the six-year-old that finds the gun and starts playing with it and shoots themselves or shoots, you know, one of their their siblings. So, I mean, gun locks aren't a bad thing, and I'm not arguing they're not a bad thing. But to me, talking about gun locks is, again, like saying, gee, I've slit my wrist. I've got blood that's pouring out all over. Here, do you you have a little Band-Aid that I can put on it? You need a tourniquet. You need stitches. You need 40 stitches, you know, and we're talking about a Band-Aid. Gun locks, fine. But until we get a handle on on the real issues with crime, which is too many criminals and too many guns in the hands of too many criminals, and really the only way you deal with that, the only practical way you deal with that is getting the criminals off the street. I do not believe the vast majority of people that live in the city of Milwaukee, regardless of what neighborhood they live in, I do not believe that they are violent, evil sort of people. I do believe, though, that there is a subset of the city, and I don't know if it's 2% or 4% or 5% or whatever, there is a criminal element. People who have no moral compass, people who have the impulse control of fruit flies, people who have in many cases been through and are going through the criminal justice system who are undeterred by by penalties, who just continue to prey on other people. And you're not going to get this city made any more safer until we start removing those people from society. 855-616-1620. I'm glad they're talking about gun locks, but you know what? I would much rather have them standing up there talking about mandatory minimum penalties and identifying um, people who are committing fire crimes with firearms, the felon in possession, and calling out the judges and the prosecutors for cutting plea deals or imposing ridiculous sentences on people who should be behind bars. 855 616 
you, you, you can't gun lock your way out of the problems that we have on, on the streets now. You can't midnight basketball your way out of this. We have gotten into this mess because we have had years of permissive, let's not hold people accountable until they do something that's so bad that we have no choice. We've got to reverse that thinking. We've got to start getting dangerous people off the street, don't we? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Okay, so here here is the numbers. Year to date, and, and these, this, is, this is from the Milwaukee Police Department's numbers. It doesn't, I don't believe, include what happened over the weekend. So far this year, year to date, 72 homicides. Last year, there were 51. 72 homicides and non-fatal shootings, 252. And again, that doesn't include the, the the 14 that were over the weekend. But let's just work with those numbers. Uh, 72 and 252 are, what, 225 approximately. You know, 225, um, we've had, oh, what, uh, 120, like 130 days. I mean, there this year, I mean, it, it, it's almost, almost like two shootings a day, fatal or, or non-fatal. And, of course, you, you get to the weekends and you get to the warm weather and, and things just go through the roof. Now, one of our, our texters, you know, interestingly says, Jeff, you should really stop talking about Milwaukee's crime problem. It's incredibly obvious to all of us that nobody in the city cares. Most of us have had choices and we made the choice just not to go in Milwaukee. And so as a result, we don't care what goes on there on a daily basis. You should focus more on what happens in the suburbs and other parts of the state where there's probably some issues going on that are more interesting than Milwaukee's crime rate, because essentially the implication is nobody cares about that. Well, the problem is, first of all, what happens in Milwaukee affects people in in the suburbs, because it's not like there's some giant electrified fence that stops car thieves from saying, oh, this is the borders of the city of Milwaukee, so I'm not going to go out to Brookfield and steal cars, or I'm not going to go out to you know Grafton and steal cars. And the other reality is people in the suburbs travel down to Milwaukee, and a lot of us do. I mean, Friday night, I, I was at a wonderful uh, event. Um, put on by the Florentine Opera, and then some friends of, I, of ours. You know, we, we went out and had a very, very nice dinner, but it's always in kind of the back of your mind. You're parking your car on the street, and you're thinking, okay, uh, when, when I come out and I walk to my car, is, that, is the car going to be there? Now, it was uneventful. It was all fine. It was all great, but that thought's still in the back of your mind. 855-616-1620. Troy in Door County. Troy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I totally disagree with your texture who said nobody or just give it up. Nobody cares. You know, it, it is it just happened last weekend in Sheboygan or the last end of last week where there was a shooting again. I like I was telling the screener and, and hear me out here. Uh, you know, a month ago, we had a judge in Florida who says no more masks needed. Now we have the Supreme Court who says, you know, we're going to change a rule that's been on the books for 50 years. But we can't do a darn thing about these criminals, these crooks and these guns. And it is so frustrating. And I just think life for you, for me, it's just just going by, going by. And it all kind of started with Sandy Hook. And here we are today. And in my opinion, nothing has changed. And it's just frustrating to hear what's going on down Milwaukee because it does affect us in Wisconsin because I frequent Milwaukee occasionally. And it doesn't it, it goes in the back of your mind like, Hey, what, what, what right. my car going to get stolen tonight? You know, and stuff like that. And and it's just very, very frustrating. It, it is. And th- thanks for call. And, and, you know, f- so for 
for you, Troy, you know, if, if you live in, in Door County or for people who live, you know, outside the, you know, outside of Milwaukee, it, it's, it's a choice at least. Okay, do I want to, do I want to go down? Do I want to patronize the particular restaurant on a Friday night because I know this stuff is going on? But you know who my heart really goes out to, and I made this sincerely, and we, we've talked, of, it's the folks that, that live in these high crime areas who don't really have the option of, of leaving, who are, are kind of trapped in this area where, well, we're, we're doing the story about the woman in Bayview who's, you know, her car was stolen three times over a, like a, an X week number of week period. I mean, three times your, your car gets stolen. At, at some point in time, you just, you, you want to try to live in a community. You want to try to make it more livable. But after a while, when gunshots are the routine, when car thefts are the routine, when the criminals are allowed to run the street and behave with impunity, it, it gets we're to a point where you want to say, okay, enough is enough. Now, look, again, I want to go back here. I'm not against the gun lock initiative. I, I think, I mean, responsible gun owners should have gun locks. And I also appreciate that if you can convince people to put gun locks on their firearms, that will, again, stop the six-year-old kid who from playing with dad or mom's gun and, and shooting themselves or shooting somebody else. So that's fine. If you want to give away gun locks and teach people how to use them, that's great. But that's that's not dealing with the criminal justice issue, which is 16-year-old kid and a 40, being murdered and a 14-year-old kid being shot outside of McDonald's on 49th at Hampton at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, presumably because I, I think it was like this argument or something like that, and everybody's carrying guns and everybody pulls out the guns and everybody shoots each other, and, and then we, they just think that that's normal. My guess is, if you look at the, what were they saying, 14 separate shootings over the course of 28 hours over the weekend, and I know I sound like a broken record on this, but I'm trying to wake people up. The the And I'm really trying to wake elected officials up. I think people understand this. I think the citizenry understands this. And, and my guess is, all the people that are responsible for those shootings, my guess is 95% of them have some form of criminal record. And my guess is probably at least 60% of the people, if not more, have felonies and are not legally allowed to possess firearms. But but yet they have guns anyways. Why, oh, why do we start looking the other way? When you catch a felon in possession of a firearm, why don't we have mandatory minimum sentences that say and that, that are non-negotiable, that say, hey, you, know, you, you go to jail for three years, you go to jail for five years. Oh, that means we have to build more prisons. Yeah, okay, we have to build more prisons. If that means that we can get dangerous people who shouldn't have guns off the street, at least for a little while, doesn't that make the community safer? Just asking. Jeff, many guns used in violent crimes are stolen. Gun locks will reduce the number of use of usable stolen guns on the street over time. It's a step in the right direction. Okay, I, I, I'm I'm sorry. I just the stuff like this again makes my head want to explode. You, I, I'm I'm not against gun locks, and, and but look if. It takes about 30 seconds with a drill to remove a gun lock. People who know what they're doing, can, and that would be the criminal element, can do it a lot quicker. So to suggest that, gee, you put a gun lock on a gun and after it's stolen, that means it's not going to be used in a crime. I, I'm sorry. That just completely and totally misunderstands how gun locks do. It's like saying, hey, we give out the club and that's going to stop, okay, people stealing Hyundais and Kias. No, it, it slows people down for about 30 seconds. So I'm not an anti gun lock, but let's just recognize that that is not a solution to deal with the epidemic of urban violence right now. The only solution is to take those people who are committing the crimes and get them the heck off the street. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Interesting weekend. It was um, on, on Friday night, I, I alluded to this earlier, I went to an event put on by the Florentine Opera, and it, was, uh, it, it, it wasn't a full-scale opera or something. It was like a cocktail party, but they had some of the singers there. And um, I opened. Over the course of my life, I haven't really been a fan of the opera, but now that I've, I've started to get at least a little bit involved with the Florentine Opera, and you see the talented people they have, it was, I mean, some of the singers they had there, it was just amazing how talented these people are. It was quite enjoyable. And then kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, Saturday night, my my wife's grandson, my, my grandson, is a sophomore at uh, Sussex, Sussex Hamilton, and he's very much into sports, but he's also into theater, and he's really kind of found his niche, and the so I, I went to a high school musical on on Saturday night, and I, I admit sometimes when you hear these, it's going okay. I mean, it's a high school musical. What's going to be? This was they staged the musical Freaky Friday, which is based on the old Disney movie where the the mom and the daughter switch places, and this, this is a musical and stuff. And I, I I always go into these things thinking I'm going to be over under I'm going to be underwhelmed, and I'm going to tell you I I always walk away thinking my gosh how good it is. It was just. It was a really, really good show, and the the young ladies that that played the two leads. I mean, this this was it was a musical that certainly would rival. I mean, I'm not going to say it would rival Broadway production and stuff, but it was incredibly well done, and these were really, really talented young people, and it was just fun. I mean, the theater was the the auditorium. They were doing it three times, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and on Saturday night, it was, I'd say, 85% filled, and it was just, it was a really, really good show, and I kind of walked away, and that's always been, I guess, my reaction, because now I I go to a lot of, like, high school concerts and things like that, and I always walk in thinking, you know, how this is going to be, and I always walk away thinking, boy, that was really, really good. So um, hats off to the the kids at, ha- at Sussex Hamilton. It was a wonderful production and incredibly entertaining and well worth the $12 a ticket that, you know, that we ended up paying. It was just great. All right. I, I, if you follow me on Twitter, and I, I use Twitter, particularly during this election season, I, I'm sending out more and more tweets, and I'm just kind of expressing things I, I feel that aren't necessarily going to make the the show that the only the three hours that we have every day but over the weekend um ron johnson and again I, my twitter is at uh, it's at at jeff wagner 620 you know ron ron johnson um well he he he, he gets he gets a lot of bad press and a, a lot of the reporters are very very anti ron johnson and they, they don't even make any mistake of of trying to hide that and there was kind of a, a snarky piece about johnson in the local newspaper because what he had said is he said look they, they were asking him about roe this roe versus wade and if roe versus wade is ultimately overturned what do you think would happen and senator johnson in part said the same thing that I have been saying for a while. And again, the the reporters were kind of snarky about it, but he said, look, if the legislature, if Roe is overturned, he said a lot of this hand-wringing and this angst, he said, I just don't think it's going to happen because what's going to ultimately be is you're going to see a legislative solution to that. That's why I've been arguing for the longest time that all these people who are arguing the sky is falling. And this means you know women are going to get, or doctors are going to get prosecuted and things like this. If Roe is ultimately overturned, there will be a legislative answer to this. And I think that's just the reality. And for everybody who, for example, says, well, you know, this is, you know, uh, Europe is a lot less restrictive. Well, in European countries, it's a legislative 
it's a legislative decision. And I, I think that's what's ultimately going to happen. You know, in Wisconsin right now, forgetting that, putting aside that 1849 law that outlaws abortion, um, as a general rule, you know, abortions under 20 weeks, elective abortions under 20 weeks are, are pretty much allowable. My guess is if Roe versus Wade is ultimately overturned, you're, you're going to see it's going to be in the lap of the legislature. You're going to have a discussion about it. But I think ultimately you're going to see Abortion will be legal. Um, elective abortions will be legal. And I, I don't know what the, I don't know if it's going to be 15 weeks. 94 plus percent of all elective abortions occur within that, that 15 week period. Maybe it'll be 16 weeks. Maybe it'll be 18 weeks. I, I don't know. But there will be a solution. And that's why I'm, I'm trying to sort of calm the, these troubled waters that are out there because you see a lot of people including a lot of people in the media who are pandering to the extremes. Oh, if they overturn Roe versus Wade, all these women are going to die, things like that. It, there will be a, a resolution because I think and I continue to believe that the vast majority of people, both in this state and in this country, believe that you know, some degree of elective abortion should be permissible. But these late term uh, elective abortions are unacceptable. And so I, I think that's where you're going to end up settling. So I agree completely with Ron Johnson that, that this a, a lot of the, these concerns and these people who are all worked up about this stuff, I, I think it is premature. My response would be kind of wait and see where this turns out. But some people are not willing to wait and see. Um in Madison, Saturday night, Wisconsin Family Action. That's a, a pro-life organization. Their building was firebombed. We talk about this at the start. We talked about this briefly at the start of the program. Somebody threw a Molotov cocktail, which, you know, is a it's a, a bottle filled with gasoline or some form of alcohol, and typically it has a little bit of a fuse. You light it, you throw it in there. Somebody threw a Molotov cocktail through the window of this, um, again, pro-life organization. The the bomb did not explode. Apparently what they did after the bomb didn't explode is people broke in, vandalized uh, the building, and set it on fire anyhow. The, the bomb didn't go off, but they set it on fire. Also, you know, spray-painted things on the outside of the building. And the Madison Police Department, the chief issued a statement that I shared with you and I shared on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620 that said, well, we appreciate that people are really upset about this, but we condemn violence. <laughs> oh, you know, yes, I, it's nice that the police department is condemning violence. And my point was that if this was a Planned Parenthood um, facility that it had essentially an attempted firebombing, my guess is the police department would be describing this as terms of, you know, hate crimes and domestic terrorism and things of the like. But but apparently this is this is the new normal. You have folks in, in Madison that have decided, well, OK, we're worried about what might happen to Roe, so the way we're going to respond is we're going to try to firebomb a, a building. Something similar, at least with vandalism, happened to another pro-life facility down in in Texas. So you've got that going on, and you have the tactic that's now being employed by some of the pro-abortion forces. And over the weekend, there were large-scale demonstrations outside the homes of a couple of the Supreme Court justices, um, particularly outside the home of Brett Kavanaugh. Um, people showed up with signs, honk for reproductive rights and body, body, bodily autonomy. Um, so you had people that were showing up 
at the homes of Supreme Court justices in an effort to to protest. And I, I guess the thinking from some people is this is how you're going to be able to number one win over people's hearts and minds by you know I don't I don't know engaging in vandalism at pro-life clinics or going to Supreme Court justices' homes, personal homes, and demonstrating in these fashions in an effort to, what, pressure them to maybe change their opinion. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the hysteria over this leaked opinion is way, way premature. And I think the responses of some of the pro-abortion forces in this country is way over the top, at least at, at this point in time. The taking to the streets and the protesting, instead of just waiting to see where we, we go with this, this idea that here we're going to try to, we're going to show up outside of justices' houses and we're going to honk horns and we're going to disrupt things because we're going to try to force them to change their mind. I, I'm sorry, I don't think that does it. Just like... You know, years ago, I would argue that when you had some of the pro-life activists who showed up outside some of the abortion clinics, back when there were more abortion clinics, with the pictures of the fetuses and things like that, in many respects, I argued that I thought that some of these visual protests where, for example, you're, you know, you're waving the, the pictures of the dead fetuses, you know, at, off of, um, as, as kids are, as parents are driving their kids to school and things like that, I thought that hurt the pro-life movement. I think these sort of demonstrations, and I think some of the hysterics that you've been seeing over the course of the last several days, I think that hurts the pro-choice movement. I certainly don't think it's going to win people's hearts and minds when you see, oh, people decided that they were going to try to firebomb a, a pro-life facility, or people decided that they were going to storm the the um, homes of some of the Supreme Court justices in an effort to try to I don't know, pressure them to change their minds? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I really believe that everybody needs to dial this down about three or four or five notches and see where things go. Because, like I say, my guess is you are going to have, even if Roe does get struck down, and if there was any hope of, like, changing people's minds, some of these demonstrations, I think, has gone the other way on, on that. I think it's just more entrenched people's positions. But even if Roe is struck down, I, I think that th- there's going to be incredible pressure to try to work out some middle ground solution to this whole thing. And a lot of the ramped up rhetoric, not to mention, of course, the, the violence and things like that, does nothing to endear somebody to their causes, just like for people who would be otherwise uh, sympathetic to some of the issues raised by the social justice movements and the protests of a couple summers ago. All right, once those protests cross the line and you've got you know buildings being burned down in Kenosha, it turns a lot of people off to the message of the, the overall protests, including people that might have been otherwise sympathetic. So I guess my point is, I think people need to dial this down a little bit. I think people are too worked up on this too soon. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess, I mean, I've been watching how, and I see, I, I can remember the abortion debate 
before Roe versus Wade and, and things like that. And I, I can remember like the demonstrations that the pro-life movement would have outside of the abortion clinics and things. And I, I always thought in many respects that was counterproductive. I know some people who uh, vehemently disagreed with me about that. But I, I thought, you know, it, it turned off people who might be otherwise sympathetic to, to the cause to see some of the in-your-face stuff. Now we're seeing the flip side of that. Now, look, I don't know what the Supreme Court is going to ultimately do with Roe versus Wade, but you know what? Nobody does. And, and you're not going to know till that decision comes out, you know, sometime probably next month um, b- before the Supreme Court terms end. But if Roe is struck down, and that means to say that they find that there's no constitutional basis for it, which, by the way, wouldn't necessarily be the the worst decision from a pure legal perspective. Well, that doesn't mean that abortion is going to be illegal, and it doesn't mean that doctors in Wisconsin are going to be prosecuted under an 1850 law. What it means is the matter will return to the state legislature, who will then have to try to figure out what they want to do with it. And my guess is that you're going to find a sensible sort of thing, which reflects where I think the majority of the state and the majority of the country are, which is a, some sort of reasonable limitation on the time limit of elective abortions. And again, like I was saying earlier, 94% of abortions are done in the first 15 weeks. So maybe it's 15 weeks, maybe it's 16 weeks. I, I don't know exactly, but I, I think you're going to see a legislative solution. So all this hysteria that's out there, the fact that you know people are are so motivated that they're firebombing pro-life clinics, for example, you know, and engaging in acts of domestic terrorism to that extent. To me, it's like dial this down, everybody, and wait and see, you know, where this ends up being. Now, look, I, I also understand. I am not naive. I did not just fall off the turnip truck. I understand that the politics of this, uh, Democrats, and, and try to find a, a pro life Democrat. They, they just almost, they're like unicorns. They just, there's no, if you're pro-life, there's no room for you in the modern Democratic Party. But they recognize, they're looking at the poll numbers, they understand that the midterms are going to be, at least right now, with the, where the economy is, it's going to be a disaster for Democrats. So they're saying, okay, let's try to work people up o- over this whole abortion question and, and maybe let's try to motivate people to go out and vote in droves and maybe we can stop the, the election from becoming as out of control as we're afraid it is. Maybe we can weaponize this. And and I get it. So I understand why that's going on. But the big point of this whole thing is that it's not going anywhere until until we see where we are in the fall. I mean, this, this idea of let, let's get people so outraged about this. Let, let's see where my advice is. Let's see where we are in the fall. And, and let's Let's see, even if Roe is struck down, what what things are like. Here's a text, Jeff. The problem is that an accurate report of what this will likely look like down the road doesn't gain votes. For the moment, this is the Democrats' dream issue to not lose complete control of the midterm elections. As a result, you have, you know, less than accurate information about what this really means. Um, okay, well, there is, I think, there is an element to that. Uh, Jeff, you seem to be pretty optimistic regarding the functionality of our state and federal legislatures. Okay, well, here, here's the bottom line, though. This this is clearly a hot-button issue where people are going to expect something to, to be done. 
And, and yeah, I think that at the end of the day, I think on an issue where you have, I think, the vast majority of people who are not on either extreme. I, I don't think the vast majority of people are comfortable with late-term elective abortions, and I don't think the vast majority of people um, believe that under no circumstances should a woman, especially early on in a pregnancy, have a right to terminate that pregnancy. I, I just I think the vast majority of people are on in the middle when it comes to that. And I believe that what's going to happen is you're, you're going to see some sort of compromise made. And if you don't, well, then then you've got that political issue that's there. Then that that's the issue that when people are running on in November, it is where the decision should be made. All right, you know, people will then campaign on whether or not they believe that you should be able to abort a child any time up until birth, like Russ Feingold argued four years ago. Or the people on the other side, if somebody really believes that even in, in, in no case at all, after the moment of conception, should somebody be entitled to have an abortion? Well, okay, that, that politician's gonna have to run on that particular issue. And I think in both cases, um, it's, it's going to be a difficult bid for reelection, because like I say, I don't think that's where the majority of people are. But the bottom line of all this is, everybody needs to dial it down for a moment. I mean, they're, they're firebombing a pro-life clinic for for goodness sake a pro-life facility and okay if abortion's not safe nobody's going to be what is that all about and to the people who might be inclined to do it do you really think that by doing stuff like that do you really think that by staging protests outside the home of supreme court justice uh, kavanaugh do you really think that that's going to change anybody's minds and bring people over to your side my argument would be don't think so yeah, for anybody hoping that there was going to be kind of a turnaround in the stock market, uh, no, it, it has been, it has been a brutal year. I mean, the, the numbers through the end of April, let's see, uh, total stock market uh, down, um, gosh, over. Okay, the stocks were down a record 13.5% for the first four months of the year. Bonds were down a record 9.4%. And, and that, that was as of the end of April. May has been, if it's possible, almost even worse. And today you're, you're looking at another cratering of the market. Uh, the Dow down almost 500 points. The NASDAQ down 460, which is a higher percentage drop. And I, I understand there's people who say, oh, this is just, it, it, it's okay. And, and yeah, there, but there, there's not much people can do except if you're close to retirement or you're in retirement and you're watching your nest egg decrease by 10, 20% over the course of the last uh, few months with no end in sight, it, it, it is kind of freaky. And I, I don't, I understand the financial advisors say, well, you really don't have any choice. You've just got to kind of ride it out and figure out what your asset mix is. But that, that's easier said than done. And it's especially easy to say when you're, you know, you're, you're selling the, the stocks and bonds to people. In any event, there, there's no question that the economy right now is not doing well. We've talked about this before. Inflation is just absolutely through the roof. Uh, gasoline prices are through the roof. And this is before the summer driving season starts. And I think the, the general consensus is, it, it's going to be nobody's got a crystal ball that clearly sees stuff but i think it's the sense that you get is that it's going to be get worse before it ends up getting better and then then there is the housing market now for the last couple years 
housing prices have gone through through the roof. If you're, for example, if you live in the city of Milwaukee, wait till you see. If you haven't seen already, wait to see. You see what your your house assessment, what the city of Milwaukee says your house is, is worth. You're going to see that it's somehow magically gained all sorts of money. Uh, uh, but that, but that's fine. But it's only fine if, if you're going to to sell that. What's also going on is the era of, of cheap money is starting to disappear. Used to be you could get you could get a mortgage, thirty year fixed mortgage at an interest rate, I don't know, you know, between two and three percent, which was really, really good. When I bought my first home in nineteen eighty eight, I, I think you know, the fixed rate, 30 year fixed mortgages were like 12 or 13%, something silly like that. I mean, we financed it with a five year adjustable and got lucky because before that five years expired, the interest rates came down to something closer to being affordable and, and we could end up refinancing. But the, the year, at least right now, the moments of, of cheap money appear to be disappearing. You've got everyday expenses that are going up and you've got housing prices that are are going up at least on paper and i think if you talk to people in the real estate field they will still tell you that it's 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 really a seller's market there's way more demand out there that is there's way more buyers then there are people who are interested in selling or at least interested in selling at an affordable rate so this really hits home for the people who need to buy a house. You know, if you're one of those folks, let's say you're starting out and you've maybe just gotten married and you're looking at starting a family and you've outgrown the apartment that you've been renting or whatever, and and now you want to buy something, whether it's a larger condo or whether it's, you know, a home in a neighborhood where there's a decent school system or whatever, you know, you really... You, you really have to do that, or at least there's a lot of pressure on you to do it, but it's tougher and tougher to make that happen. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. If, if people are in the housing market now, that is particularly if they are buyers, are, are they going to be able to buy affordable houses over the course of the next couple years? Or is the red-hot market, has it essentially like frozen a lot of people out of it? And if you're one of those people who's been considering looking for a home, how difficult has this been? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, if you're a seller, okay, on the one hand, it's a great time because there's lots of buyers. There's still, you know, more buyers out there than there are housing inventory. The problem, though, is you, you sell your place and, and you've got to live somewhere. So the question is, okay, where where are you going to go? Yeah, you can get 25% more than what you think your house was originally worth, and that's great, but then you, you've got to go somewhere, and so you've got to try to find something new. 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line, particularly first-time home buyers. H- how difficult is it? And are we going to see new home buyers being able to enter into the market over the course of the next couple years? I sincerely doubt it. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. Jeff, my friend runs a title company, and he said that out of the last 10 deals he's done, 7 out of the 10 are all cash buyers. First-time buyers are going to have a very difficult time getting into this market. We're heading for some tough times, given that a large segment of the population will be at a huge 
disadvantage. Jeff, I personally do not think the market is as hot as some think to still think it is, and I think that it's cooled down quite a bit, um, but I'm in the process of trying to sell. According to my realtor, she states the market has gone from absolutely hot to not. Interest rates and credit card bills with gas expenses on them have people extremely freaked. I think there's an element to that. Jeff, 10 months ago, my wife and I purchased our first home. It was a struggle. We were getting outbid twenty to $25,000 above asking price till we finally got one. Good luck to people who are out there. Well, I think that's it as as well. Um, th- there's this issue. Um, there's no question about it that there's this. Jeff, I think there's a plurality of people with high incomes and lots of cash and investors who are bidding up home prices, but unfortunately, average income, young individuals and families are being priced completely out of the market. In the past, that's led to sudden often unforced, um, under-forecast home price declines, but the experts claim that this time is different. I guess time will tell. Yeah, just to, to give you an idea of just how, how the increase in mortgage rates affect this, I got a story in the Washington Post that I, it, it gives an example involving a $500,000 house. I understand that that's not your typical first-time home buyer, but just that, that you can figure out the, the costs and stuff and then work down for it. So last, if you bought a home at the end of last year and took out, let's say it's a $500,000 home, you borrowed $400,000 on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. So that's 20% down, okay? Um, what happened is the mortgage rate would have been 3.11%. And you could have done better if you bought it before the end of last year. And your monthly interest and principal payments would have been $1,710. Now, let's say you took out the same mortgage at the current rate, which is 5.1%. Same thing. Your monthly payment goes to $2,171. So it increases about $350, um, a 27% increase that costs you about $5,500 more a year. And that means you needed 27% more income to qualify for that mortgage. So does this, does this impact the people that, I don't know, have been in the housing market or, you know, either have the cash surpluses or have been in the housing market. So they're selling a house and then they're buying maybe a bigger one or whatever. No, they can probably end up swinging it. They're not going to like it, but they can probably end up swinging it. The people that it really impacts, though, are those first time home buyers or the people that own maybe that small starter home who are trying to figure out a way to, to move up into, I don't know, the home that's in the arguably, quote unquote, better neighborhood, however you want to define better, you know, maybe a little bit of bigger lawn, you know, maybe a different school district, um, things, you know, like that. Um, Jeff, we bought a very nice home at the very end of 2020. We were actively looking, but one caught our eye after sitting on the market for a while. We made an offer and got lucky after several other offers fell through. It's our third home, so we've done this before. We wouldn't have been able to easily buy this home in the current market, though, without those low interest rates. They enabled me to get a reasonable monthly payment in an otherwise expensive neighborhood. 
I wanted to ensure that we could make the payments. Um, yeah, that, that's that's the factor that's going on there. Jeff, two weeks ago, a friend of ours was selling her $325,000 home in Brookfield, 100 showings, 18 offers. Later, she accepted one for seventy grand more than asking. At least in her case, the market is still insanely hot. But yeah, you know, you, you look at this, and I guess that's the point. If you... You list something for $325,000, and my guess is for many first- or second-time homebuyers, the average one, that that's that might be a stretch. But then when you find out that you're in this bidding war and somebody's offering to pay cash and they're offering to pay you seventy grand over the asking price, it's just kind of like, okay, I guess we're going to be in the apartment for the next couple of years. Jeff, last condo I bid on, there were 21 offers. I offered $15,000 over asking and no inspection. Been trying for over a year to purchase. If you don't have a lot of extra cash, the problem is it is nearly impossible. Um, yeah, Jeff um, and then a couple other people are just talking about um, a couple people just talking about how difficult it is to, to do this. And, and again, here's here's the bigger picture. I continue to believe that that home ownership and individual home ownership is part of the American dream. I also continue to believe that owning a home is one of the greatest investments that that you can you can make. And so we always want to have a housing market that is affordable. But I'm um, given. Again, what's going on, just supply and demand, not enough sellers, too many buyers, and now coupled with the fact that the interest rates are starting to move from affordable to less affordable. Now, look, I get it. It's not the 13% interest rates under the Carter administration yet, but it's going up, and it makes a huge difference. So, I mean, it's a very, very tricky time out there, and the real losers right now are the first and the second time home buyers who haven't accumulated uh, a ton of cash and who you know maybe don't have the income to you, you could buy the three hundred thousand dollar house but if that three hundred thousand dollar house magically becomes a four hundred thousand dollar house you just don't have the income to swing it that's that's the real problem and trying to figure out affordable home ownership I think is one of the keys to trying to figure out how we're going to get an economic turnaround just saying Well, I would describe it as a good first step. Uh, the embattled district attorney of Milwaukee County, John Chisholm, whose policies have contributed to, I, I think, a lot of the dangerous criminals being released onto the street or plea bargain. They're having their cases plea bargained to ridiculously low sentences. Um, he's been under a lot of fire, and I think my guess is this is probably going to be Chisholm's last term. But um, he's announced that he's going to be taking a bunch of money that was given to him by Tony Evers through some of these federal COVID grants and that they've begun to hire. They're in the process of hiring 15 more prosecutors to try to clear a backlog of criminal cases. They have about 200 people currently in jail just facing homicide charges. And, of course, that that's adding and increasing on an, on a daily basis as you know more and more people commit these murders I have no problem at all with hiring additional prosecutors and I think that's what you need to do um, I think there were too many 
people in the court system that, frankly, I, I don't think worked as hard as they should have during the whole COVID pandemic. And so now you've got this huge backlog. And I'm not against hiring more prosecutors. What I think you need to watch, though, is when you hire these new prosecutors, number one, you got to make sure they know what they're doing. And number two, there has to be a policy that we're not going to give away cases just to move these cases through. In other words, if you have somebody that belongs in prison for 10 years, what you need to do is you need to prosecute them and make sure that they go to prison for 10 years instead of dealing the case away and suddenly having somebody who should be in prison for 10 years walking around the streets ready to commit another crime on double secret probation. So it's not just adding prosecutors. It's candidly changing your philosophy to make sure those new prosecutors you have, along with the old prosecutors, actually hold criminals accountable. Otherwise, All you're doing is putting them back out on the streets to commit yet another crime. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. Just sent out a tweet about this whole this gun lock thing. And and as I said earlier in the program, I'm not against gun locks, but, but that's like, Putting, taking a gaping wound that you need a tourniquet for and putting a Band-Aid on it. I mean, I, my, my, my tweet said I'm not against giving out free gun locks, but I seriously doubt it's going to have much impact on crime in Milwaukee. Bad guys know how to remove a gun lock in about 30 seconds. If you got a drill, you can get one off in about 30 seconds, and sometimes, depending on what the lock is, if you've got a paper clip, you can pick that lock and be in it in less than that, if you know what you're doing. It's kind of like the, the fact that we give out the, the club. You know, We put it on cars, and it doesn't deter people from stealing the cars, because the people who are stealing cars, they, they, they know how to get around the, the club, and it, it's not that uncomfortable. It's it's pretty much common knowledge. I'm not going to talk about it on the radio, but it, it's pretty much common knowledge to do that. And so do I do I think people should have gun locks? Absolutely. There, there's no question about it. Do I concede that if more people had gun locks, it would make it less likely that the six year old was going to grab the gun and shoot you know their sibling? I absolutely concede that. Do I think that this is a serious solution to the problem of urban crime and stolen guns and things like that. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't think it's like that. I mean, I get, can I go back to my basic thought, which is as a starting point, how about we hold repeat of criminals and repeat criminals, including juveniles accountable? Let, let's start there. Let, let's deal with the overlying underlying problem i mean let's let's wade in and deal with the problem which is the criminal element running running rampant on the streets and then then you can start nibbling around the edges with like the gun locks and things like that but again that's just me all right i've been waiting all day to talk to you about this one of the over the years one of the things that i know you might have disagreed with me on is this whole question of the student athlete, and that is for years and years, college athlete, the colleges made a ton of money from their sports programs, just a, a ton of money. And the athletes who participated in these programs made made nothing. Now, it, it's true that they got college scholarship and they got room and they got bored for a, as long as they were playing. But beyond that, they and there's, that, there's a value to that. There's no question. But many of these colleges became rich beyond the dreams of avarice by 
by the, the players. And I always thought that that encouraged cheating. I thought it would be much more above board to start allowing the players to receive some form of compensation for this. And we, we've had heated debates about this. But ultimately, particularly because of a variety of court cases that the student athletes filed that kind of um, – overturned the NCAA's no, you can't take any money. So now, as a general rule, within limits, college athletes are able to sell their what they call a nil. Nil is N-I-L. If you ever see that, it means name, image, and likeness. So college athletes, uh, and this doesn't apply to most of them, but yeah, if you're Instead of getting money under the table nowadays from some booster, what happens is you you can cut a deal. If you're if you're that high that college quarterback who's doing really really well, for example, and the team and the college is making a fortune off you, yeah, you can cut a deal with that local car dealership, for example, and and you can get paid for autograph signings or or things of of the like. Doesn't doesn't work out for the majority of college athletes, but for the best ones. It, or the most in-demand ones, it, it's something that compensates them a bit. And I don't really have a problem with it. Here is the interesting thing, though. In nine states, and maybe by the end of next week, maybe a tenth, because Iowa, oh, I'm sorry, Ohio is voting on this, and the, 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 the schools have between May 1st and May 15th to vote. Ten, assuming Ohio goes ahead with this, that will be the 10th state that will allow high school athletes to start cashing in on marketing uh, deals. So in ten, nine states now, and probably 10 if Ohio adopts this, and I think a lot of smart money says they're going to, a high school athlete has the ability to sell their name, their image, or their likeness. So if, for example, a, I don't know, a, a car dealer, wants to hire the star basketball player on the team, wants to hire him or her to come over and do an autograph signing or make a personal appearance at the car dealership, and they want to pay him money to do it, they, they can they can do that. If uh, the kid wants to, um, I don't know, put out, I don't know, T-shirts with his or her picture on them and, you know, sell them, they're entitled to do that. Now, it varies a little bit from state to state, but high school athletes, at least in nine and maybe ten states, they are able to sell their name, their image, and their likeness, and they're able to make some money off of this. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I see high school as being different from college, but in many respects, the, the arguments are, are kind of, the same. If you have, I don't know, a, a child who is a piano virtuoso, a, a prodigy, and that child wants to go and, you know, play, I don't know, play the piano, for example, at, it gets, gets hired at a gig, gets, to, gets hired to go down to, you know, Eline Hall and, and play, you know, play a concert and people pay to see him. That you, you can do that. You can make money from doing that. So the question becomes, if you're an all-star high school basketball player and that car dealer wants to hire you to come out and meet and say hi to people and wants to pay you 500 bucks for a Saturday afternoon and your parents are cool with that, should they be allowed to do it? 
should high school athletes be allowed to accept compensation for selling their name, their image, and their likeness? In Wisconsin right now and in 39 other states, the the rules are very clear. You can't take anything of value with a couple, like, narrow exceptions. But 10 states are saying, no, we're going to let them do it. Should high school kids be able to make money on their name, their image, and their likeness? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. You might think that this is silly. I mean, would anybody pay to have a high school athlete endorse things? Well, I mean, here's the story. For example, New York City, two high school basketball stars. One kid is named Ian Jackson. The other is named Boogie Flant. Both of them, and they're ranked as top prospects for the 2024 recruiting class. So what, what does that mean? They're sophomores in high school. Both of them have cut deals where they receive a percentage of sales on a merchandise company's products that use their likeness. They're also paid four-figure monthly checks. So that means 1000 to $9,000. Don't know what it is. They're paid four-figure monthly checks to make social media posts about the brand. So they've cut this deal with a marketing company that sells, like, T-shirts with their likeness on it, and they, they go on social media, they make posts, and they get paid for this. Um, Jackson, 16, is saving the money he earns because he wants to buy a home for his family. Boogie Fland, um, he says, well, he wants to use the money to put his family in a better place financially. It's been a very big deal, he says. All the hard work is finally paying off. He's 16 years old. 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because of a Supreme Court decision last summer, uh, colleges, college students, because you're generally talking about adults here, they're, they're allowed to sell within certain restrictions, their name, their image, and likeness. And about there's about like 8,200 who have cut different deals. Should high schoolers be allowed to do it? Let's start with Mike in Madison. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Um, so if you look at Shirley Temple and Brooke Shields, I see these uh, athletes in a very similar uh, vein in that they're providing an entertainment value and they should be paid uh, or at least have the ability to seek uh, endorsements. They'll probably end up with agents. And if you look at the universities, they end up being the MGM or the Universal Studios or, or Disney Studios. Um, but I think we really need to start calling them athletes students uh, and reverse the order of, of it because it really they're an athlete first and a student uh, second. What, what would this do, Mike, if it became widespread on the high school level? What what would this do to, to high school sports, um, especially where you have like open enrollment and things like that? Would, would you really would it be a situation where, hey, if I go to this school, which is a basketball powerhouse, I, I know I'm likely to get these endorsements and I can make five, ten grand a year, a, a month, or, or whatever it would be. Would would it cause kids to want to move to those schools where their endorsements were more likely? I, I think that's a, a very good possibility that it would, as, as it would an actor or uh, or mm-hmm. a a famous musician, they, they would end up going to where they could make the most income. Um, but that, that's something that we need to, I guess, allow for. I, I would say somebody like uh, Tiger Woods' kids is coming up. Mm-hmm. It's unlikely he'd end up in a public school, but a kid like that would probably already start 
seeing endorsements even oh, yeah. at his young age. I don't know what his 10, 12 years oh, yeah. old right now. Sure. No. Okay, good enough. Thank, thanks like for calling. Jordan's kids. Right. No, I, right. No, thanks. No, no, the interesting, now, of course, and I mean, I'm the one who, who said the example of the kid who's the, the piano virtuoso. Now, the, the difference is in the case of like a, a teenage actor, like the, Sir, you know, the, the Shirley Temples or, or, you know, any, any of these kid actors, the difference is they're not getting paid through their work at the school. They're they're getting paid. They're out in the quote unquote real world. Now there's laws that you know child labor laws and things like that. But they're they're working for a private company, the the MGM or the TV studio or whatever. In in the case of the student athlete or the high school player, they're they're still performing um, under the umbrella of the school. So it's I guess the public school and, and maybe it's a distinction without a difference. The public school is giving them the, the vehicle by which they can they can earn money. And I guess that's that does distinguish it, at least in my mind, a little bit from the the, the kid who's um, out on out on their own or, you know, that they're again, they're the actor or whatever, because they're not getting paid through what they're doing with the public school. I guess I I understand an intellectual. Like I say, I'm, I'm the guy that's been arguing that I think it's only fair for the college athletes to to make money because. But in that case, it's because that the schools themselves have been making an enormous amount of money. And if the kids want to cash in, the kids being the adult kids want to cash in, I, I think that they should have the right within certain limitations to do that, understanding that that's going to cause a, a recruiting issue as well. Because if you're if you're at a school where there's got these big boosters who are, hey, you you come to play for, you know, Wagner University. And if you're doing well, you know, we've got all these alumni and you're you're going to have all these opportunities for endorsements and stuff. Meanwhile, you know, if you go to Fred University, they they don't have that as available. I, I do think it in some respects it gives somebody an unfair recruiting edge. At the same time, I am I'm reluctant to see this extended to you know high schools. Um, I, I think that that's you know that's a that's a problem um, th- that's there. Um, let's see, uh, Jeff, the son of Cooper, uh, the son of um, th- the son of Cooper Manning, who goes by the name of Archie Manning, is in high school. He's going to set a new standard when it comes to getting paid before he's even played a game of college football. Jeff, I have a hard time with this at the high school level. The big difference between college and high school athletes is that the college level, the star quarterback and the image are used to sell tickets, whereas at the high school level, I can't recall of ever seeing a high school using a star athlete's name and image to sell tickets and promote their program. Yeah, I see that. I see that as a distinction as well. And it's not just selling tickets. It's getting the big TV contracts. It's et cetera. These, like the University of Wisconsin Athletic Department, and I don't mean to pick on them, but I mean, it's there. If you look at basketball and football, those are the revenue generating sports. So the university uses the talents of the players in order to make a ton of money. Now, it's true the kids get the scholarships as long as they're on the team and things like that, but, but it's, 
the question is then is is this proportional at high schools you don't really see the high schools don't have the big tv contracts you know the kid's a great player but is he really bringing in a ton of revenue from from the high school there's not tv contracts or things like that i guess i see it differently i, I mean and if you want to go out and, and you want to again be the the child tv star or you want to be the progeny or progeny uh, progeny or whatever that that's one thing but if you're going to be performing under the auspices of the high school i i think you should still be an amateur now whether or not you know the court cases are going to say that the kids are entitled to be compensated i i don't know how that's going to go but the idea of i don't know some 15 year old kid doing autograph signings at a local car dealership something about that just doesn't sit right with me. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. There are almost 650,000 people whose lives are touched by the Wisconsin retirement system, which covers employees of the UW system, local police, firefighters, and publicly employed teachers. Join Annex Wealth Management and WTMJ Steve Scafidi for a special webinar, Understand Your WRS Potential, on Wednesday, May 18th at 4 p.m. Retirement planning can be complex. What does your most recent statement mean for your plan? No matter your age or retirement status, learn more as we walk through pension scenarios and answer WRS questions. Register for the free webinar at AnnexWealth.com slash events. All right, now here's an update. On the program last week, we were talking about uh, dog tracks. And there used to, if you were a certain age, you can remember there used to be five dog tracks in the state of Wisconsin, including Dairyland Greyhound Track in Kenosha, which you can still see, I think, kind of the remnants if you drive by. Dairyland Greyhound Track was at the time, I believe, either the largest or the second largest dog track in the country. So we built all these dog tracks. And then what happened is a year or two later, um, gaming, uh, Indian gaming came into effect. And we had all these casinos that were built up. And that kind of killed the dog tracks because the dog tracks just couldn't compete. And then between the competition with casino gaming and then in a couple states like Florida, referendums, finding that dog racing was cruel, that, that you know, kind of outlawed the industry. Now there's only two operating tracks in West Virginia and one in Dubuque, Iowa, that has been there for the longest time. I was telling the story the other day about how my brother and I used to occasionally we take weekends and we go out to the track in Dubuque. That track is closing uh, next Sunday, May 15th, and then it will be closed permanently. So I was just talking about that and the fun. We were talking about dog racing, and this is one of the texts I got. Jeff, you were talking about dog tracks closing. Well, we went to the one in Dubuque this Sunday. You could not move. It was wall-to-wall people, six to seven people deep. It was impossible to get up to make a bet. Maybe they will realize that they should keep them open. Well, now I'm afraid that that ship has kind of sailed, and my guess is it's probably nostalgia as much as anything. But if you're one of the people that remember dog racing and love those days, your, your opportunities, especially in the Midwest, pretty much anywhere in the country outside the two tracks that remain in West Virginia, they're, they're probably disappearing. But the Dubuque track is open through Sunday. Just be prepared to wait a little bit. Yeah, the Wall Street numbers are not pretty. Now, just to give you a little bit of perspective, I, I pulled up the, just for the sake of reference, the closing data when from uh, the end of January of last year when Joe Biden was inaugurated. Uh, the Dow Jones then was 31, 31.9, essentially, and now it's 32.3. So it's given up almost all of, of its gains over the course of the, the last year. 
the Dow down 576 points today. But it's it's been a relentless losing streak for the last four months. The S&P just dropped below 4,000. When uh, Biden was inaugurated, it was 3852. So just like the Dow, the, the NAS, the S&P um, up slightly for the Biden term, but Big gains have all disappeared. The NASDAQ is down for Joe Biden. It was 13,457 when he was inaugurated. Now it's uh, 11,643. So it's down almost 2,000 points. And again, just, just huge drops. So I, but the problem is there's, you know, what do you do with your money? I mean, you can cash out and you can put it under your bed, but then you miss any sort of rebound that, that occurs. And typically that doesn't make much sense, but it's a rocky time for investors. And I think even most of the smart people say it's going to get worse before it gets better. Okay. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you. There is a game called paranoia. And apparently this is being played by seniors at Germantown High School. Now, the way the game Paranoia works is it involves students creating teams. And then what they do is they use Nerf-style guns to go out and shoot opponents who are then eliminated from the game. So it's kind of like, you know, I mean, sort of a weird version of tag. Okay, so the Germantown police... And the school is saying, hey, we do not endorse this, and we do not want you to engage in this. Well, okay, you would say, why? Does this sound like a harmless game? Well, apparently there have been reports of unsafe driving, disorderly conduct, and reports of stalking or hiding near the homes of opponents. So it's, okay, you're on this team, and I guess so what would happen is, I'm going to hide out in the bushes at your parents' house, and I'm going to wait for you to come out the back door so I can shoot you with this this Nerf gun. Okay, let's say that again. I'm going to hide in the bushes outside your parents' house so I can shoot you with this, this Nerf gun. I'm going to hide in the bushes outside your parents' house. Gee, what could possibly go wrong with that? In addition, some of the Nerf weapons that the students are using appear to look like real handguns and long guns, especially in dark conditions. Uh, Community residents may suspect game behaviors as burglary or assume that the person has a real weapon, said one letter which was posted to the Germantown Police Department's Facebook page. The letter also said the Germantown School District does not support the game and prohibits it from being played on district property or at school functions. Students caught playing the game would be disciplined. And um, the police department says, well, depending on, on what you're doing and how you do this, you could be subject to prosecution. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I think if we think back on our high school days, we can all remember... I don't know, senior pranks. And we can all remember maybe things that we did in high school that you go, huh, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe that, that wasn't the best of ideas. And I also fully acknowledge that, you know, the times they change. I've told this story before. When, when I was in high school, you could smoke in high school. I went to Nicolay High School in the 70s. And if you had a letter from your parents giving you permission, you could smoke. 
and they, they have designated smoking areas, like a courtyard or some of the bathrooms, where you could go and smoke. I've told this story before. I can remember walking into the, the boys' bathroom in lower whatever it was, D-wing or F-wing or whatever, and there were there were kids sitting there eating their bagged lunches off the floor of the bathroom smoking a cigarette. And I remember sitting there thinking, I've never smoked, sitting there thinking, God, I hope I never need a cigarette so badly that I'm going to eat my bag lunch off the, the floor of the bathroom. But anyway, it was a different time. So I appreciate, in fact, that there's different times. And I actually, I I, I think I have a pretty good idea of what's what a good prank is and, and what's you know goes beyond that. But apparently there's a lot of these seniors that are out there, and this is the game they're playing, running through the community, trying to shoot each other with these Nerf guns. Now, the school district and the police department have come out with a letter saying, we don't want people to do this. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, does this strike you as being an overreaction? I mean, on the one hand... On the one hand, they're they're just they're they're Nerf guns, you know. Nobody, at least, they're not out breaking windows or vandalizing cars or things like that. Um, that's that would be the one argument. On the other hand, you've got people lurking in the bushes around other people's houses with, admittedly, their toy guns, but they can be well interpreted as being like real guns if you don't look at them that closely. All right, is it an overreaction to say, don't play paranoia? Are we getting too much like, oh, everybody's becoming their parents? Okay, is this just a fun, harmless thing, or is it a reason to be concerned? 855-616-1620, I'll tell you where I come down on this. But, all right, think about it. Are we just getting old and saying, okay, this is really a harmless game? Why are we telling the kids not to play it? Or or is this advice, knock this game off, is that, well, is that well-deserved. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. So a number of people are texting that there's also another exception to this game that they're doing in Germantown, which is apparently if you're naked, you cannot be shot. So I, I, I don't know exactly how that would play out. If you're in your car and you, you see a couple people jump out with Nerf guns, you would take all your clothes off. But Gee, what could go wrong with that? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Maybe this is an unfortunate thing, because on the on the one hand, it, it strikes me as kind of harmless fun, on the one hand. But we are in a different time nowadays, and the, the, you've had these stories about people who, you know, adult p- police officers, for example, who, who shoot people who have these realistic-looking guns. Um, you have homeowners who are on edge now, and I'm trying to picture, okay, you've got somebody lurking in the bushes at night with what appears to be a, a firearm. Well, okay, there's all sorts of things that can happen, and, and 99% of them are, are probably bad. So I, I appreciate the, the concern that the school district has, and I, I'm, I'm all in favor of fun, and I don't want to be the fun police, but this one just sounds like it's got the potential to really create some problems in the community. And that's why I, I don't I don't think that people are being paranoid if they're trying to shut down the game paranoid. Let's start with Mike. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. This has a recipe for disaster. The school district nor the police department can condone it, and it reminds me of two things. It reminds me of the kid that was shot in Washington County by the homeowner because he was running from a house party and the homeowner didn't know what was going on and shot that guy. And also, I used to paintball as a kid, 
we'd have uh, eight guys with army fatigues walk into the forest preserves. It kept us out of trouble. We had a lot of fun. One day we were doing it. The cop got a call of guys dressed in army fatigues walking into the woods. Well, luckily he had his he walked up to us. He had his gun out. He didn't know what was going on. The cop was real cool about it. Let us go. Said you guys are doing fine. You're staying out of trouble and everything like that. But this situation where it affects personal property and the parents that don't know what's going on, something bad could potentially happen. And I don't think the government can condone this type of behavior. Yeah, I'm, I mean, thanks. I mean, I'm with you. We, earlier today, we were talking about this story uh, yesterday afternoon, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You have three people shot on whatever street in Milwaukee. It could be any street in Milwaukee. But it's like, you know, there's three people driving in a car, and people in another car start to open up on them and shoot at them. Okay, now, I understand that this isn't that game. But but at the same time, I'm trying to imagine, okay, you've, you've got kids driving down the street in Germantown, and you've got a couple kids that are leaning out of the window with a car, of a car with, I, I don't know, things that look like they're guns. Bad stuff can happen with, with that. And I... I I don't want to sound like this kind of old fogey who doesn't, uh, you know, appreciate a good time and harmless fun and stuff. But when, when it spreads into the community in general, in today's day and age, where we're all hypersensitive about violence and gun problems and things like that, I mean, it would be one thing if, hey, we're on school grounds and this is a school-sanctioned event and we're going to play this game and so we, we you're, you can hide and seek and we know that this is where it's going to be. Okay, that, that would be one thing. But that's not what this is. This is something that spills over into the larger community. And again, I'm I'm picturing a scenario where – Okay, you know, you know, Danny is coming home at 11 o'clock at night because that's when he gets off his job making sandwiches or whatever. And so you want to tag him. So you're you're hanging around in the bushes, you know, with what looks like a gun waiting for the kid to come home. And Danny's parents, who don't know anything about this game, all they see is that there's somebody with what looks like a gun that's in their bushes. Well, who, who knows what what could happen, you know, with this whole situation, most of which just isn't good. And I just you, you hate to be this. Well, you know, this get off my lawn guy, because that's not what I am. But this story, the, the potential for bad things happening, it seems to me is is pretty great. Dominic in Sussex. Dominic, you're in WTMJ. Hey, how, how are you? Good. I agree with I agree with you and, and your last caller. Um, I live in Sussex, and uh, two years ago, six months after we moved into this place, um, my truck was broken into. And since then, we've installed security cameras. And when I get a motion alert, my phone goes off. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I do is I have a firearm readily available. Now... Yeah. How that firearm gets used is, you know, but this, like your last caller said, is a recipe for disaster. Someone's going to get hurt unnecessarily, yeah. and someone needs to step in and stop it right now. Yeah, no, you're right, Dominic. You're, I mean, let, let's take your example. Okay, let's say you, you've got a high school junior or senior who, who's working, you know, getting home at 11 o'clock at night, and just like exactly you're talking about, you got a car parked out in the garage, in, in your driveway, your motion <clears throat> sensor goes off, and I'm, I'm not trying to be extreme about this, but you, you go out, and there's somebody dressed in a ninja outfit, for example, who's got what is, is a Nerf gun, but you don't know that because it looks, for all intents and purposes, especially in shadows at 11 o'clock at night, like they've got a long rifle. You go out, <clears throat> you're carrying your gun, 
all of a sudden, you know, the, the kid points the Nerf thing at you or whatever, and something bad happens. And I don't mean to be an extremist about it. I, I don't. But if the general public doesn't know this is going on, the potential for something really bad to happen is great. And and maybe I wouldn't have felt this way 30 years ago. In all honesty, maybe 30 years ago I would have said, look, this is, this is kind of harmless. This is no different than people chasing other people around with water balloons and stuff like that. But the, these aren't water balloons. You know, the, these are... These are these Nerf guns that can be easily mistaken as real guns. And it's just, as we talk about repeatedly on this program, with people carrying like real guns and doing bad things, you can understand how people could get confused about this. Catherine in Milwaukee. Catherine, you're in WTMJ. I only have to say what has said been said previously recipe for disaster and then when these children get hurt the parents can't understand why when we as citizens were only trying to protect ourselves yeah now thanks well thanks again and you know one of our texts i appreciate this point jeff you can't protect protect everybody from everything all the time better this game than drinking or drugs there's potential for bad things happening every time you step outside well I mean, okay, if if you're saying, Jeff, would you rather them be running around in Germantown carrying things that look like guns and pretending to shoot Nerf things at you or shooting heroin? Okay, if if those are the choices, yeah, okay, this this is a superior option to a bunch of kids getting together in an alley and shooting heroin, okay, or doing speedballs with coke and heroin. I, I, I appreciate that, all right, but, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily a good t- thing. And, yes, I appreciate that there are situations where you can have just – Bad stuff that happens. You know, the you're, you're out driving around and you get the kids that aren't paying attention or the drunk driver that blows through the red light and hits and kills people. I understand that there's the potential for bad things that can happen, but that doesn't mean you necessarily should be embracing things that are, are just uniquely bad ideas. And I guess in today's day and age, this strikes me as just a, a uniquely bad idea that's out there. A couple of people are saying, well, I, I, this, this, I haven't... Uh, I haven't heard about this before, and I'm living in Germantown and stuff. Well, there's, um, you know, you just got to be mindful that this whole thing is going on. Jeff, I live in Germantown. I'm so glad you brought this subject up because I was unaware of it. Um, I think it's just ridiculous. I'm all for kids having fun, but in this day and age with people on high alert about crime, I just think it's something that could turn from fun to tragedy extremely quickly. And I guess I'm all for fun as well. And I understand that the the principle behind this is, is kind of harmless, but I just, again, I believe that the chances that people could misunderstand something that's going on is so great that I think the school and the cops are right to say, you know, this is not a good idea, and we encourage you not to do it. Back with more in just a minute. Jane Matinair in for John McCure on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.